Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Among the most treasured memories of my years as a young dad are the family vacations at Bob's Lake, about an hour's drive outside of Kingston, Ontario. A kaleidoscope of memories comes to mind this morning as I think about those family vacations that we enjoyed at Bob's Lake, swimming in the lake, catching frogs on the beach, and our older son, who didn't like touching frogs, coerced his younger sister into catching them all. Boat rides across the lake just to buy ice cream. Long days in the sun. Reading a good book on the dock without interruption. Board games and crazy antics at night. And of course, building a raging fire in the old stone fireplace in the the cabin. I have so many fond memories but I think what sticks with me the most is the, my, re, my recollection of the amazement on the faces of my children as they watched the embers burn out at the end of the day just before going to bed. They would sit there. We would all sit there gazing at the fire as it died down at the end of the day. When Jesus was taken up to the Father, The disciples stood there gazing into heaven, watching him ascend back to heaven. And I can only imagine the amazement and the wonder and the excitement that would have been on their faces that day as they watched Jesus be taken up in a cloud of glory. And you will will remember that one of the very last things he said to his disciples was, wait, wait for it. Not many days from now, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember that? And 10 days later, it happened. 10 days later, Pentecost arrived. The Holy Spirit fell. And everything changed yet again for these disciples and also for us. Everything changed that day. Everything changed. And so the first question that we want to ask as we look at Acts chapter 2 this morning is, what actually happened. What happened when the Spirit came? Now, this morning, I'm going to be reading some fairly large chunks of Scripture. So if you have a Bible with you, please open it up to Acts chapter 2. Or if, or if you have a fake Bible on your, on your phone or your device, uh, open that up this morning so you can follow along on, on your Bible app. Uh, with a, a paper Bible or, or Bible app, please have the Scriptures open before you this morning because not all of the verses will appear on the screen uh, as we as we go through the text this morning, so so what? Back to this question: What happened when the Spirit came? What happened after Jesus was crucified and buried and resurrected, and then he was he ascended to the Father? When the promise of the Spirit coming was fulfilled, what actually happened that day? Well, first of all, something spectacular happened to the disciples that day. Verse one: When the day of Pentecost arrived. They were all together in one place, the scripture says. Suddenly there came from heaven 
a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now the day of Pentecost had arrived. This was the best attended of all the great feasts celebrated by the Jewish people. There was never a more cosmopolitan audience in the city of Jerusalem than on the day of Pentecost. The city was packed with pilgrims. And so it really was the perfect day for the Holy Spirit of God to descend upon the city. It was packed with people. The disciples were gathered together in one place, it says, waiting for the promised Holy Spirit to come. Remember Jesus said, wait for it, wait for it. Not many days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so there they were, gathered together, likely bowed in a spirit of prayer. And then suddenly, a breeze began to blow, which turned very quickly into a mighty rushing wind. And, and Luke is very careful to emphasize that this, this sound of a, like a mighty rushing wind came from heaven. He's very particular. Luke is, is very specific. He's very detailed in his, uh, in his uh, writing of, of, of Scripture. And he, he, he makes it very clear. He emphasizes the fact that this sound came from heaven. So it's a supernatural thing that's taking place here. This is not just an Alberta clipper uh, blowing through Jerusalem and kicking up the sand in the sandy streets. No, this wind is from heaven, Luke said. It comes from the hand of God himself, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So the Spirit of God that day came rushing in, just like Jesus promised. He promised the Spirit would come. And here he comes. A fiery presence was also in their midst. And it suddenly divided into separate flame-like tongues that intentionally danced over the heads of those who were gathered in the room that day. Tongues symbolized these, these uh, flames that looked like tongues of fire. Uh, Symbolize the fire symbolizes the God's purifying presence, but the tongues symbolize the speech and communication of the gospel, and that was the that was the 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 desire of God, the Holy Spirit, that day was to to purify these people and to to bring the gospel to bear upon them. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that came to rest on each one of them. So that's what happened to the disciples that day. Pretty significant, huh? Must have been something to be in that upper room that day. That's what happened to them. But something spectacular also happened in them. God made his presence known to this group of believers in dramatic fashion. I'm telling you, it was dramatic. Verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now through John the Baptist, God had promised that they would be baptized with fire. Remember? Matthew chapter 3 verse 11. And, and now here it is. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And these, what appeared to be tongues of fire, danced over their heads. And, and they began to speak in languages that they had not studied and they didn't know. Far from being ecstatic speech or some 
prayer language. The tongues spoken on the day of Pentecost were known languages. The, the context does not allow for any other interpretation. You can't make this text say anything else. They spoke as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. So he's in complete control of the situation. And they, they could only receive what he had to give. So the, the burning expectancy and the, the persistent emptiness of the last 50 days was, was, was suddenly realized, suddenly satisfied. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come, and here he is. They were filled with the Spirit of God, and Jesus was resurrected 50 days ago, and 10 days ago he, he ascended to the Father, and we've been waiting now for 10 days, and finally on this day, the day of Pentecost, the greatest feast of all the feasts, the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. Wow. Now, before the day of Pentecost, we see the Spirit of God working at various times in various ways with various people. But now something new and something remarkable is taking place. Until now, the Holy Spirit had been with the disciples, had been with the people of God. But now he would be in them, just like Jesus promised in John chapter 14, verse 17. You know him, Jesus said, referring to the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you. So they had experienced the, the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit to some extent before now. But Jesus says, he was with you, he's with you, but soon he will be in you. And, and that, that is the, the demarcation, that's the dividing line, that's the, that's the, the place in which the, the, the church of Jesus Christ was, was created, was born, was on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came to fill all the believers the evidence of the Spirit's coming was unmistakable. He manifests His presence in the eyes and the ears and the mouths of the believers. But didn't stop there. Didn't stop there. His coming also had a profound effect, a profound impact upon the people of Jerusalem as well. So next we'll see that something spectacular happened through the disciples. Verse 5, and this is one of these larger passages that I'm reading. Please follow along. If you have your Bible open, Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. They're from all over the place. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and even visitors from Rome, as far away as Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed. I should say so saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking, as Ron said, there's always a few, right? Others mocking said, ah, ah, they're just filled with new wine. They're just drunk. 
first thing that stands out to me as I read that passage this morning is Christianity is not restricted to one nationality, one race, one people. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ that is open to everyone of every color, every nationality, every creed, every tongue, everyone, everywhere. That's what this passage is opening up to us. Christ offers salvation to all people without regard to nationality. So the rushing wind brought together a great crowd, devout men from every nation under heaven. That's one way of saying, hey, these people were from everywhere that we know people lived in the day. And the apostles step out of the upper room and they begin to declare the mighty works of God in languages that they never studied. The people were dumbfounded <laughs> and bewildered. That, that often happens when the Spirit of God shows up. People are just, what? Say, what? They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Oh, my. God works all kinds of miracles to spread the gospel. He's all about spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he performs miracles to make sure that it happens using many languages as he calls all kinds of people to repent and believe in Jesus. So no matter what your race today, no matter what your nationality or your language, we have people, we have new Canadians in our audience every Sunday morning, you know, who are still learning English. That doesn't matter one iota to God because God speaks your language. God speaks your language. It doesn't matter what language you speak. God speaks that language. And he speaks to you. He speaks to your heart. As you read the word of God, as you hear a sermon uh, that's biblically based being preached, God speaks to you. As you listen to that radio broadcast in Romanian or Mandarin or whatever language you speak, God speaks to you. He speaks your language. The question is, are you listening? Are you listening? God is speaking even now, even today. The Holy Spirit is here. He's speaking to us. Are we listening? They were amazed and they were astonished in part. Thank you. Uh, I, thank you. He's listening. He really is listening, isn't he? He really is. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Mark 10. Unless you become like a child. Thank you, buddy. You're showing us the way to the kingdom this morning. Amen. They were amazed and astonished, in part because none of these disciples, none of them had studied at the Faculty of Foreign Languages at the Extension Campus of St. Clair in Jerusalem. None of them had studied. They, 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 didn't, they didn't know the languages that they were speaking in. And so, of course, people were amazed and bewildered. I mean, you'd be surprised if I broke out in Mandarin this morning, wouldn't you? Some of you would be really happy if I, but I, I, but that's what happened that day. They just began to speak in other languages. Some were amazed at what they heard, but others mocked. They are filled with, they're, they're drunk. These guys are drunk. They're, they're speaking nonsense. They must be drunk. And so right at that very Right at that very important point, Peter begins to preach. 
Peter stands up and begins to preach. And that, that raises the second question about the passage. What happened when Peter preached? The first question we asked was, what happened on the day of Pentecost? What happened when the Spirit came? But now, what happened when, when Peter preached? Two big questions about this chapter. Peter began to preach. Listen, that statement by itself is a miracle. Right? Remember who this guy is? It's just a guy who denies Jesus, not once or twice, but three times. He denies Jesus Christ. And yet, he, he, he's the first guy who stands up in the book of Acts. He's the first guy who stands up in front of all these people and preaches a sermon. Peter had, had been an unstable leader during Jesus' ministry. Unlike Donald Trump, who declares himself to be a stable genius. Peter was not a stable leader during his time. He was the one who denied Jesus over and over again, not once, but three times he denies the Lord. And yet here he is, ready to preach the first sermon recorded in the book of Acts. Have you ever felt like you made such big mistakes or such bad mistakes that God could never use you again, that God could never forgive you, that your life would never rise from the ashes have you ever felt that way? But here you are. And here was Peter. Wow. My friends, you can never predict what God will do when you repent and surrender and get filled with the Spirit of God. Who knows what God will do with your life? God transformed Peter by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if he did it for Peter... He can do it for you. There's hope. There's hope. So Peter preaches. And to begin with, he explained what had happened. Again, another large chunk of scripture, beginning at verse 14. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Notice how, notice how Peter takes advantage of the criticism and the critique and the mocking of people. It's, it's just an interesting side note when you take advantage of rumors or mocking or criticism that comes your way and you turn it into a gospel opportunity. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. So... These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he begins to quote the prophecy from Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on your flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise God, hallelujah, a thousand times again. Peter explained that what had happened on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God was poured out upon the disciples was connected to the prophecy of Joel. 
He ties in the Old Testament prophecy of Joel. And in part, this prophecy is fulfilled on this day. There's another segment of the prophecy of Joel that will wait till the end of time to be fulfilled. But the prophet Joel had predicted this day would come, and here it is. Here it is. This is the dawning of a new day for God's people. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there's just really a sense of urgency about this passage. Do you see it? There's just a sense of urgency here. We're, we're living in the last days. And next, the next great redemptive event is the second coming of Jesus. And he is coming. He's coming. And we need to be ready. So there's this sense of urgency. We don't know the date, the time, the hour. We need to be ready. The need to be right with God is pressing. It, it's now. It's today. It's the most burning issue that we can face. Are you ready? Are you ready? To see Jesus face to face. He's coming. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. But he's coming. And, and in, on, on Pentecost in, in Acts chapter 2. The, the Holy Spirit was released into the whole church. Not just a few. Not just those 12 apostles. But to men and women and slaves and Jews and Gentiles. So that the young men would, would see visions. And the old men would dream dreams on males and females. The Spirit of God came that day. And so the joyful worship of the believers, Peter says, was not due to excess drinking at 9 o'clock in the morning. Rather, it was due to the, to the, to the uh, descent of the Holy Spirit. The evidence, this is evidence of the arrival of the Holy Spirit of God and proof that the prophecies of God always, always come true. Joel said it would happen, it happened. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come, and he came. See, we, we can trust the word of God. We can trust the prophecy of Scripture, even if we don't understand it all, even if we don't know when it's going to happen. We can trust it. Do you follow what I'm saying? Do you believe what I'm saying? Are you with me? Furthermore, Peter explains how it happened. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's a little bold preaching, I would say. You done this. You killed him. God raised him up. Verse 24, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Hallelujah. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. 
being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's what happened. And Peter talks about that and he explains what is happening and why it happened. News travels fast, doesn't it? Bad news travels faster than good news for some reason, but news travels fast. And probably most of the adults in Jerusalem who came from uh, Mesopotamia and Cappadocia and Pontus and, and, and even as far as Rome, most of the people who were gathered there in Jerusalem had probably by now heard about the arrest and trial and death of Jesus Christ on the cross. This rebel, this renegade who was, who was against the people and against the government. You know, that's how rumors go. And the way rumors go, even the pilgrims from other cities likely heard about this rebel named Jesus. Now remember, this is one of the best attended feasts of all, the, of all that was celebrated. The city of Jerusalem is jam-packed with people. And it's been my experience in the 42 years that I've been living that <laughs> my, I, math was always my, my worst subject. Now I even forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> People love to gossip. Isn't it true? People love to gossip. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure in this jam-packed city, this news, which really turned the, the Roman Empire, or be, be, was beginning to turn the Roman Empire upside down, that people would have heard about Jesus. They, they would have heard about him. They were coming for the Jewish festival, but they would have heard about him. They, they may have even heard the rumor that, that the disciples of Jesus stole his body away to make everybody think that he actually had, had resurrected. They would have heard all kinds of crazy rumors like that. But Peter, is not gonna let, he's not going to let those rumors lie. He's going to stand up and tell them the truth. So he stands up and he begins to preach like his hair was on fire. I tried that once and now it's, it's all gone. He preached the gospel to them. Look at uh, verse 22, Acts 2.22, I'm sorry, 23. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Then he goes on to say, God raised him up. You killed him, you delivered him up, but God raised him up. You delivered him up, but God raised him up. So he's really presenting the gospel of God to them. He's explaining to them the gospel of God. And when the Spirit of God descends upon the people of God in a powerful, tangible way, it's always the gospel of God that gets preached, that gets shared, that gets glory, and God gets the glory. This stuff about the Spirit coming upon us for our own sake and for our own feel-good, that's not true. It, that's not the first and primary concern of the Scripture or of God the Spirit. The first and primary focus of the Spirit of God is always Jesus. Let's tell people about Jesus. Let's make sure we get the truth about Jesus out there. And that's exactly what he does. You delivered him up, but God raised him up. And then he goes on in verse 33 to say, 
being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. In other words, this Holy Spirit that's coming, he's coming because of Jesus. And this Holy Spirit that has come and fallen upon the church, it's for Jesus. And so that the gospel could be preached to the end of the earth. So get out there and preach the gospel. That's the emphasis, I think. And I'm a little fired up about it. Peter's preaching about how the Spirit of God came to be poured out upon these people. It's a fulfillment of the promise by the Father through the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. And then finally, the last part of this rip-snorting, hair-burning fire on the day of Pentecost, Peter explains why it happened. Pick it up in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. We really don't have to go any further because that's the crux of it. It happened. The day of Pentecost happened. The Holy Spirit fell that day so that God could be glorified and that God could make both Jesus, both Lord and Christ, in their, in their uh, presence. They could hear, they could see, they could believe that Jesus Christ really is the Lord and Christ. He's the King of all. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Why did it happen? So that God could be glorified and so that there would be more acts of the apostles and the disciples and more people could come to faith in Jesus Christ. There were added that day about 3,000 souls. So the Holy Spirit of God took Peter's message and used it to convict the hearts of these people. And you would hope that that happens every single time when somebody opens up the Bible, that people would say, oh, I'm cut to the heart. doesn't actually happen that way. But it did this day. On this day, that's exactly what happened. They were cut to the heart. On, on this day, the day on which the Spirit of God fell on the believers, one of them stood up and preached like crazy. And, and the men and women in the audience were cut to the heart. And they asked, what shall we do? What shall we do? Really, this is the basic question that we must ask. Is it not? This is, this is it. What must we do? What shall we do? Now that we've heard God's word, what must we do? How do we respond? And Peter tells them to repent. To repent means to turn away from your sin, to, to change the orientation of your life to change your life from selfishness and rebellion and disobedience and turn toward God. You turn away from the old life and turn toward God and put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he tells them to do. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ and be baptized. 
Baptism identifies us with Jesus Christ and with the community of believers. Water baptism is the ideal way to, to, to picture the cleansing of sin. It, it serves as a sign and a seal of the promises of God. And, and really, the, the New Testament knows nothing. The New Testament knows nothing of un, unbaptized believers. Over and over again, when you see people, when you see the gospel preached in the book of Acts, and you see people responding, you see them being baptized. It just is a, it's an autumn, it, it's just part and parcel of the salvation experience. Just like after uh, someone is, is saved, we, 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 we disciple them in, in prayer and, and, and sharing their faith and giving to the Lord's work. It's all part of uh, the salvation, the overall salvation experience. The New Testament stresses the importance of baptism. To be a follower of Jesus is to be a, a baptized believer in Jesus. We like to say around here, baptism is a public declaration that we belong to Jesus. It's just that simple. It's, just a, it's a public declaration that we belong to Jesus. But there's an expectation in the New Testament that every believer, every born-again believer, will be baptized in water. You notice this sequence over and over and over again in the book of Acts, and we'll see it over and over again as we go through the book of Acts over the next few months. The gospel is preached, preached, people repent, they trust in Jesus, and they're baptized. It all goes together. So if you profess to follow Jesus, you've not been baptized, you should get baptized. I urge you to be baptized in obedience to the word of God and the written word of God. So... If you'd like to be baptized, let me know. Let me know today, even. I'll be standing right over there, hopefully with a cup of coffee in my hand, talking to people as they leave. If you want to slide by and say, hey, I'm one of the, I, I need to be baptized, I'll be right there. I'm happy to talk to you. You can take one of the welcome cards out of the chair pockets and fill it out and just say, I need to be baptized, and we'll include you on Sunday, April 1st. You say, I'm not going to be here Sunday, April 1st. That's Easter, and we always go to my grandma's in London. For, for Easter, I won't be here. Well, never fear. We're going we're gonna to have two baptisms, one on April 1st on Easter Sunday and one on April 8th, the Sunday following Easter for all those of you, you who are going to be at Grandma's on the 1st. On the 8th, you're back here. You can be baptized on the 8th. So if God is calling you to himself today because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit who convinces or convicts us of sin righteousness and judgment if you've not yet bowed the knee to jesus and said yes to jesus i urge you to do it today i invite you to trust in jesus christ alone for your salvation today because the promise is still good everyone who calls upon the name of the lord shall be saved thank you lord let's pray together father we thank you for this amazing passage of scripture from Acts chapter 2. We've been challenged and our hearts have been touched by the truth that comes from this passage this morning. Yes, the Holy Spirit fell. Yes, the believers were all filled with the Holy Spirit on that day and the church was born on Pentecost so many years ago. But we know from Scripture that we can still be filled today. Ephesians 5.18, be filled. Keep on being filled with the Spirit of God. 
And so we come. Lord, we come as humble beggars this morning, asking you, would you fill us afresh? As we confess our sin and get right with God and invite the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh, would you do that, O Lord? We need you. We're desperate without you. We need the guidance and the the direction and the teaching that the Holy Spirit gives us. So come, Holy Spirit. We're gathered in this room, ready to receive whatever you have to share with us. In Jesus' name we pray.